some glad morning when this life is o'er I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore I'll fly Save me by His grace 
Well, take your copy of God's Word this morning, please, and uh, be turning to the book of Romans again, the 8th chapter. If you don't already have that marked in your Bible, Romans chapter 8. Don't you love to hear how children describe things? You ever ask a child to describe something? Uh, it could be a very interesting and entertaining exercise, to say the least. And I want to share with you how some children, how they described heaven. How they described heaven. Eight-year-old Eric said this about heaven. It's a place where there's a lot of money lying around. You could just pick it up, play with it, and buy things. He says, I think I'm going to buy a basketball, and I'm going to play basketball with my great-great-grandmother. Scott, I'm not sure of Scott's age, but he said heaven is up in the sky, and you can look down at circuses for free if you want to, except you have to ask God for permission first. David, who's seven years old and a child after my own heart, said this, heaven is kind of big... And they sit around playing harps. I don't know how to play a harp, but I suppose I should learn how to play that dumb thing pretty soon. (laughs) Then my favorite came from seven-year-old Tommy. And seven-year-old Tommy said, I know what heaven is, but I don't want to go there. I want to go to North Carolina instead. Well, as much as I love North Carolina, born and raised here, can I just be honest with you? I'm looking forward to leaving North Carolina one day and going to heaven. And as I was preparing for our time together today, I ran across something that 17th century British minister William Secker said that caught my attention. That's a long time ago. But he said something, one sentence that really, really caught my attention. He said, there's no more comparison to be made between heaven and earth than there is between a piece of rusty iron and refined gold. A piece of rusty iron and refined gold. That image fits so nicely with our verse that I want to look at with you today. In Romans chapter 8, this time we find ourselves at verse 18. You can follow along there in your Bible or it's on the screen if you need it. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, right now, we're living with rusty iron. But one day, we're going to be having that refined gold. You'll notice a great contrast in this verse here in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. You have suffering versus glory. Uh, You have the present time versus the future. We've already seen that thought if you back up one verse, verse 17, which we covered in our study somewhat last time. It says in verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. And then in the very next verse, our verse for today, verse 18, He gives the result of His calculations. He says, I consider, I reckon, I have calculated, and I look at all the sufferings that we endure, and then I look at the glory, and He says, they're not even worth comparing. They're not even worth comparing. For I consider, I reckon, I calculate that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. So I want to take it in the order that the verse presents it because in reality, the verse presents it in the way we experience it. First, there is suffering and then there is glory. 
There is the now, and then there is that which is to come. Suffering and glory. Now remember, we're talking about Christians in this passage. And Christians experience both of these things. John Stott said that the sufferings and the glory are married. They cannot be divorced. They're welded. They cannot be broken apart. And so we have suffering, but we also have glory. And this morning, I want to impress upon your heart just one sentence. Just one sentence. Now, it is a compound sentence, but just one sentence. And we're going to build the sentence together as we go. So I'll give you the first part, and then we'll go, and we'll have a complete sentence that I want to impress upon your heart before we leave this morning. Let's put the sentence together. First of all, the first part of the sentence simply goes this way. We are children of God. We are children of God. Uh, That's a glorious thought. If you've repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. You're still there in Romans 8. Look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 17, And if children and heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. We've been born into the family of God. We've been adopted into the family of God. And with that adoption comes all of the rights, all of the privileges that come along with it. We're heirs of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're going to receive that all those things that God has promised us, we're going to get them. We're joint heirs with Christ. That is, we are heirs because of Christ. We're in Christ because of Christ. And we're in Christ. We get these wonderful things. And we revel in this part of the sentence. And we ought to. We are children of God. Abba, Father. We have a loving, heavenly Father. And we're children of God. And we like that part of the sentence. It's the next part of the sentence that makes us stretch our heads a little bit. But let's add the next part to the sentence. We are children of God, yet we suffer. Now, for many, that just doesn't seem to fit. I mean, we would think it would say we are children of God... Therefore, we don't suffer. But we're saying this, and the Scripture's saying this, we are children of God, yet we suffer. This is the part of the sentence we don't like, and it might even be the part of the Christian life that we don't like. Let's think about it for a little bit. First of all, who is it that suffers? Who is it that suffers? Well, look at verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him that we may also be glorified together. If you're a child of God, the Bible is very plain that you're going to suffer. The Scripture is clear on this. There's going to be suffering. Paul expressed this desire when writing to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And the next phrase is very interesting. And the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. We don't think about fellowship in regards to suffering. The fellowship of his suffering. Paul said this, or excuse me, Peter said this about suffering in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And so as believers, we suffer. And we're told that we ought to rejoice in the fact that we suffer. 
He said, it's getting stranger. Well, who is it that suffers? The child of God. Well, secondly, what is suffering? I like the way J.I. Packer defined it. He said, suffering is getting what you do not want while wanting what you do not get. Let me say that again. Getting what you do not want while wanting what you do not get. That's a good way of describing suffering. There's all kinds of suffering in our world. There's all kinds of suffering that we experience. I mean, think about it. We suffer because we live in a fallen, broken world filled with broken people, which brings us to the third question. Why do we suffer? Well, that's why. Because we live in a fallen, broken world with broken people. And what is suffering and why do we suffer? Well, there's all kinds of suffering. There's floods and there's tornadoes and there's deadly viruses that strike fear in the hearts of people. There are financial reversals. You think everything's going well and then you lose your job or everything goes Wrong. There's accidents. There's terrorism. There's cancer. There's disease. There's death. There's all kinds of suffering. We could spend the afternoon probably listing out various ways that we suffer. It would be a very depressing afternoon, but we could do it because we understand that. And Christians, we do not get a get out of suffering free card. This is not monopoly. This is life. And so we suffer because we live in a broken, sin-cursed world filled with broken people. We also suffer because of our own sinful choices. Yes, the Lord forgives, but there are consequences that come along with our sinful choices. Sometimes the suffering is a result of our own sinful choices. And furthermore, we suffer because we are followers of Jesus Christ. And, And that's the one sometimes that really makes us just kind of scratch our heads and wonder... How does this work? I mean, I'm a follower of Christ, and yet because I'm following Christ, I suffer. I read this in a magazine this past week. Pastor Sanvi, who's in India, shared the gospel in villages near his home for the past six years as a bivocational minister, even planting house churches in two of the villages. Though members of the local Naxalite group uh, who subscribed to Marxist Leninist political philosophy had repeatedly warned him to stop his ministry work. He continued to tell his neighbors about Jesus. Just sharing Jesus. The article said, Then one evening the Naxalites appeared at Sandy's door and told him to follow them. Sensing something was wrong, his wife, Stacia, followed the distance carrying their two children. The article said when she saw her husband tied to a tree, she began pleading with them to let Sanvi go. But instead, they beheaded him in front of her and their children. That was in a February edition of the magazine. That happened, obviously, just very recently. What did he do? What was he guilty of? Sharing Jesus. Loving others. And can I just remind you that Sanvi was described in this passage. A child of God. An heir of God. A joint heir of Jesus Christ. One who called God Abba Father. And yet he was beheaded because of his faith in Christ. We don't get, a, get out of suffering free card. In fact, in reality, the difficulty at times is because we are believers, we suffer not to the extent of this brother and his family 
At least not yet. But suffering is real. You know, the Holy Spirit used Paul to write Romans. And Paul knew what it was to suffer. In fact, if you want to put your finger there, I want to show you two passages in 2 Corinthians. We'll look at one now and one in just a moment. Put your finger there in Romans 8 or a marker and and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want you to understand that the one that God used to write this passage knew what it was to suffer. He's not writing just fiction. He he understands what it is to suffer. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to read to you verses 22 through 33. I want to read it to you out of the New Living Translation because it really makes it plain and puts it in terms that we can get our arms around today. But 2 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 22... Paul is writing, he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? If I must boast, I'd rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I'm not lying When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Artus kept guards at the city gate to catch me. I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. And by the way, can I just remind you after reading that testimony, he's the one who wrote a verse today who says, listen, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. It makes me angry these hucksters get on television and their so-called churches talking about that God wants every believer to be healthy and wealthy and just to be prosperous. And I say, well, what do you do with Paul? What do you do with the Bible? Because I don't find that here. This is not your best life now. Your best life's yet to come in glory. And I look at that. And this is the one who endured all of that, says, listen, I've calculated it. I've figured it out. Everything I've experienced, not even worthy to be compared to the glory that is coming. Which brings us to the next question, and that is, what good can come of our suffering? Now, you're still in 2 Corinthians, right? Back up a few chapters. And I want you to find chapter 4 this time. Verses 16 through 18. What good can come of our suffering? Well, to be honest with you, so much good, more than we can even fathom or understand. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning at verse 16. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Therefore we do not lose heart. Thank God for that. Even though our outward man is perishing, we understand that. 
Our bodies are decaying. Our bodies are failing. Our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now notice verse 17. It's an amazing verse. For our light affliction, beaten with rods and stones and whipped, hungry and cold and shivering, he calls it a light affliction, which is but for a moment. Notice what it's doing. It's working for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Beloved, there is a purpose in our pain. There's a purpose in our suffering. God is working in us. God is molding us and shaping us and making us into the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus. And there's suffering now, but it's temporary. Glory is coming. Now remember, we're building a sentence today. I've given you the first two parts of the sentence. We are children of God, yet we suffer. And I'm glad you stayed to the end to finish the sentence. Because the next part says this. But we will not always suffer. Let's put it back together. We're children of God, yet we suffer. But we will not always suffer. You see, our present is filled with suffering, rusty iron. Our future is filled with glory, refined gold. Look at verse 18. You're back in Romans 8 now. For I consider, I reckon, I calculate the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's coming a day where there will be no pain, no more suffering, no more heartache, no more tears. God will wipe all tears away from our eyes. We can't even fathom what God has in store for us. Jot this reference down and think about it this week. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. Hey, praise the Lord. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, that is Jesus, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Jot this reference down. 1 Corinthians 2.9. 1 Corinthians 2.9. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. And in fact, as we keep studying Romans chapter 8, we're going to see more in the coming days of what's involved and included in that glory which is to be revealed. So stay tuned. Come back. But for today, just be encouraged, friend. Listen, Christian, things might be bad at the moment. I mean, they might be bad in your life. And and the truth of the matter is, honestly, now, hear me, honestly, they might even get worse. They might. But all of it's temporary. It's all temporary. Paul says, listen, when you look at all the pain and suffering and hardship and trials and problems that we endure, if you pile it all up or you want to put it all in one side of the ledger, he says, when you turn and you look the other way and you see the glory, what's going to be revealed in us is not even worth mentioning. It's not even worth comparing. Now, let me just be honest with you. That's good preaching, but hard living. 
I'm not diminishing anybody's pain or suffering today. Because pain and suffering, they're real. I know it's real. And it comes in various forms. Emotional, physical, social, financial, family, all kinds of ways. Physical. Pain and suffering. But I want to encourage you to remember in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through at the moment, that the best is yet to come. You see, if you're a believer, beloved, this is not the best it's going to be for you. Now let me just tell you, if you're an unbeliever, this is the best you're ever going to get. If you die without Jesus, this is the best you've got. Because after this is the lake of fire. Please don't go there. Turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. But if you're a child of God, this is, the, this is as bad as it's going to get. It's all going to be better. And some might be listening and say, well, my life's pretty good right now. It's going to get better. To the best is yet to come. You know, we've taken that as our motto for 2020. The best is yet to come. And as I've already told you, there's two parts to that motto. The first is we're saying it as a statement of faith. We're believing God. We're asking God that the best is yet to come for our church. That the best days are not behind us. They're ahead of us. And we're asking Him to bless and help and help us to be a shining and reach people for Christ and grow disciples. It's a statement of faith. We're crying out to God that the best is yet to come. But it's not just a statement of faith in regards to our church. It's a fact for every believer. In your life, the best is yet to come. In fact, he says, listen, your eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, it's not entered your heart. You can't even imagine how good it's going to be. Can't even imagine. You ever been somewhere on a trip and it was better than you thought? You got there and said, well, I wouldn't expected this. Now, if you're like me, you've probably been to places you went there and said, well, I thought it was going to be better than this. <laughs> the brochure does not look like... When did you shoot this brochure? Was this printed 30 years ago? That's not the way heaven is. That's not the way glory is. We can't even imagine. We can't even wrap our arms. You know, Paul was allowed to be called up to the third heaven and he wasn't allowed to reveal everything that was there. In fact, it was so glorious that God put what a thorn in his flesh. Just he'd be boasted and proud because of what he'd been revealed. He just, he just can't imagine. You know, I, I'm encouraged today because I think about all those who have gone on to glory before us. Somebody had an old directory they were showing me before at service. And they had the directory. I mentioned there's so many that are gone now in this directory. Imagine what they're experiencing right now. They're in the presence of Jesus. We've been singing about heaven all day. And to be honest with you, I think we need to sing more about heaven and think more about heaven and talk about heaven more and focus. You know, you don't hear much about heaven. Why? Because we become so accustomed and so used to here and we, we get to at home here. This is not our home. See, glory is coming. Heaven is coming in the presence of Jesus. And in the midst of our suffering and our pain, our disappointment, our heartache, we need to look beyond the present moment. Our, our present suffering, and remember that we're groaning today, but one day we're going to be in glory. So look up. Look ahead. 
I started today with a story from children, and I want to end with one. Young Jonathan had been promised what a lot of children would love to be promised, and that is a new puppy. He was promised a new puppy for his 10th birthday. But Jonathan had a hard choice to make. You see, he had to choose between 12 likely candidates from the neighborhood pet shop. So imagine 10-year-old Jonathan's there. He's surrounded. There's 12 puppies there, and he can only choose one. Finally, he decided upon one. It was a nondescript, shaggy pup who was wagging its tail furiously. And he said, I'll take that one. Well, obviously, they wanted to know why he chose that one. I mean, all 12. Why the nondescript, shaggy one with the wagging tail? And Jonathan simply said, I want the one with the happy ending. (laughs) Can I just tell you that your life might seem shaggy, nondescript, hard? The pain is real. And I don't know how things are going to turn out here for us. We're not promised tomorrow. I don't know what the ending looks like for us here, for you and me. But I can guarantee you this upon the authority of the Word of God. If you're a child of God, you're going to have a happy ending in glory forever. So look up, dear child, and keep looking up. Heaven is waiting for us. Father, I pray that if anybody here does not know Jesus Christ, that Your Holy Spirit would convict them right now and turn their heart to You. And then, Father, for my brother or sister who maybe is laboring under much pain and difficulty, discouragement, trials, afflictions on every hand, would You encourage their hearts today by this truth that our present suffering is not even worthy to be compared with the glory which is going to be revealed in us. Lord, we know that in the midst of the suffering and pain, You do not leave us on our own. You've told us to cast all of our care upon You. And You never leave us nor forsake us. And You're with us until our dying day. And then we're with You forever in glory. But I pray for a special encouragement today. That today they'll just be refreshed and renewed within themselves a remembering that this is not it. This is not as good as it's going to get. Glory is waiting for them. So minister your grace now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn, if you need to be saved today, we'd love to help you with that. Just come let us know. You want to come pray about something, you can do that. But I thought we'd close at uh, 605. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. The altar is open. You come today, friends. 605 in the sweet by and by.